We are continuing this morning as we look at the actual passage itself. It starts this epistle, it's called. It's a letter that James is writing to the scattered churches, scattered people in the various churches, um, scattered because of persecution as we saw last week. So let's all stand to hear God's word. I'm just going to read again the the same passage, just the first few verses of James chapter 1. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him but he must ask in faith without doubting for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double minded man unstable in all his ways may God bless his word to us as we consider that just a moment please be seated Let's come to God in prayer before we consider his word. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege again as we consider your word, the living word that cuts all the way through to soul and spirit where joints and marrow come together, judging the very intentions and thoughts of our heart. We thank you for James and his willingness to lead your church, the first church that ever came into existence right back 2,000 or so years ago. We thank you, Lord, that we can read and learn and understand because of your Holy Spirit within us we thank you for the privilege we thank you also that we can respond, we can apply the truths of your word, therefore we ask that you will help us to understand what we need to do as a result of your word in our lives to not just have head knowledge but to be able to apply the truths of your word to our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit I pray that you will open my mouth to speak your word for your glory, Amen Now G.K. Chesterton, who you've probably heard of, once said, I believe in getting into hot water. I think it keeps you clean. Now when he said that, he wasn't talking about having a bath. He meant that the difficulties that we have in life can have a useful effect. They can be very positive. And also, there is a need in our lives for testing to see if our faith is uh, genuine as a result of going through difficulties. And such testing that, as I mentioned last week, uh, is not for God's benefit to see if we're genuine, it's for our own benefit to strengthen us, to give us endurance, to help us to grow, to mature. God knows if our faith is genuine, obviously, but it's good that we are encouraged by such testing, such trials, such difficulties. And as G.K. Chesterton uh, once said, there's no better test than hot water, or more specifically than the the difficulties, the the sorrows sometimes, the trials that we go through in life. How you handle troubles, how you handle difficulties, is an indicator of your faith. Trouble coming to your life can give a good indicator of your standing before God, the reality of your faith. Or sometimes with some people, sadly, the lack of faith. 
Now, as I've already mentioned uh, previously, the purpose of James is to give us a, a series of tests, series of tests to help us to understand that we are indeed saved and we're encouraged by that. To reveal whether our faith is living, as he says, or, or dead. He, he mentions dead and living faith. And he says that the tests that we go through, the trials, the difficulties that we go through in life, reveal if we're genuinely saved or self-deceived. So on the one hand, if you are a Christian, if you're genuinely saved, it's good to go through difficulties. He even says, consider it joy. Because your faith is strengthened, you endure, your faith is confirmed, you gain in confidence. But even more so, if a person isn't a Christian, but they are going to church, as some people do, and they are what you could call a churchgoer, but they're not actually saved, it's absolutely eternally vital that they understand, because of these tests, that they're not saved. Because if they're not saved, they're not headed to eternity with God. And they need to know that, because I say that's absolutely eternally vital, they need to know in order to give them the opportunity to be saved, obviously. So we've got, we've got two things here happening. These tests can strengthen and cause the Christian who is genuine to grow to mature and to be encouraged. And they can also point out for anybody who isn't genuinely saved that they're not. Therefore they can be genuinely saved. They have an opportunity to turn to Jesus in genuine faith. So these trials that James talks about, they reveal whether your faith is real or whether it's not. And as he says it, whether it's a saving faith or a non-saving faith or, or a, a living faith or, or a dead faith. So he's got two goals in his testing. To strengthen and encourage genuine Christians and to show those who aren't genuine Christians that they're not in order that they will be saved. That's the whole point of this letter. That's why James is writing for those two reasons how anybody can know that they're saved and know that they're not if they're indeed not now everybody who lives in this world lives through trials and difficulties um, we live in a sinful uh, fallen world we are sinful fallen people and as a result we all everybody will face trouble in the world Job puts it this way Job 5 verse nine, uh, 7 Job 5 verse 7 Man is born to trouble as sure as the sparks fly upwards. I can imagine him sat by a fire one night and, and if you've ever done that you'll see that the sparks always go up uh, because of the heat of the fire. It's quite a, I find it quite a comforting thing to see these, the sparks going up in the fire. But he's saying as sure as sparks go up in the fire you will face trouble in life. In fact he says in Job 14 verse 1 Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. Um, everyone's born of a woman if you are not born of a woman then you're not born so in other words Job is saying everyone will face trouble in life in Isaiah 8 verse 22 God speaking through Isaiah of his judgment in the world that left people to look to the earth and find only trouble so the Bible's telling us there it, it's obvious you will go through trouble in life even for those who are children of God, there is also constant trouble. You can't avoid trouble, you can't avoid confrontation, you can't avoid difficulty. It will come at some point. If you live a godly life in union with Christ Jesus. Paul warns us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 that everyone who wants to live a godly life in union with Christ Jesus will face opposition, confrontation, difficulty, persecution, whatever you want to name 
Of course there is the if, because you don't live a godly life in union with Christ Jesus, you won't face so much trouble. But you should live a godly life in union with Christ Jesus. In other words, if you live according to the Bible, if you live according to what God says, you will face severe trouble. It cannot be helped. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. Even within the church. And that's why James goes on in chapter 4 and chapter 5 to talk about criticism and uh, judgment and all the other things and people complaining. He says, don't do it. This will happen to those who are God's people. It's going to happen. But make sure that you're not one of the ones who is causing it. This is the whole point of James's letter. He's talking about the difficulties that Christians do go through. And we even see it in the Old Testament. The psalmist repeatedly speaks to God and asks God to deliver them. And it's very specific, out of trouble. They're never so presumptuous to say, deliver us from trouble, because they know that can't happen. In other words, what the psalmists are often saying is, um, they're not saying deliver me from the trouble, just get me through the trouble when I'm in it. Because they know that God will allow them sometimes to go through trouble. There's going to be trouble. Even in churches there will be trouble. You can't avoid it. Jesus himself said, you've been with me in my troubles. You see, Jesus faced constant confrontation, constant criticism, constant trouble all of his life. And eventually they killed him because of that, which is the ultimate trouble. Because why? He said, They don't like what he said. I mean, as I've mentioned before, they loved what he did. I mean, who doesn't want free food? Who doesn't want their friends and their family healed? Who doesn't want to see people rising from the dead? That was fine. Nobody criticised Jesus for doing that. What they criticised him for was what he said. And that's the major cause of trouble for Christians in the world. If you follow what he said... Jesus says it's normal in the world for you to have trouble. You expect it, it's everywhere. And we see, obviously, others throughout the New Testament. Paul says he was troubled on every side, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Like Jesus, Paul faced constant confrontation, criticism, trouble, constantly. You see, the closer you are to God, the more you follow God's word, the more trouble you're going to face in life. So there are times when you can expect trouble, Jesus says, from family, uh, from friends, from the economic world. Then also there's the natural trouble from the disease and illness, and trouble from death that strikes people close to us, trouble also from persecution. It comes from all sorts of different ways. And as I say, it's something that affects everyone. Now James says that in effect... If your faith is genuine, and this is his major point, if your faith is genuine, no matter what trouble you face, no matter how difficult life can be, no matter how much you go through, it will show true, even in time of great trouble. We see that in the Old and the New Testament, and particularly with the the early Christians. They were faced with death for their faith, but they didn't give up. And we've seen it throughout history as well. If your faith in God is only good when everything is going well, what good is that? Anyone can have faith when they've got an easy life, when everything's going well, when they're getting everything they want. That's easy to, to trust, that's easy to have faith. But the point of faith is to sustain us when things are actually going wrong. Not just when things are not going well, but when they're actually going wrong. In fact, we don't really need faith so much when everything's going well. 
The ultimate legitimate test of the genuineness of faith is how it stands in the face of difficulties. How it stands in the face of trouble. That's what James tells us. And he also says in verse 2, count it joy when you fall into various trials. So he's saying, yes, you're going to have trouble, but not only should you expect the trouble, not only should you go through the trouble, but you should actually count it joy. Why? Because it gives endurance, strength, it encourages. Now the word trial is actually a very familiar word to the reader of the Bible. It just basically means any kind of trouble. Something that breaks the tranquility, the the peace, the comfort, the joy in your life. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean something evil, um, the word trial. It mostly is something evil as people will attack you and and cause you problems. But it could be something that's not evil at all. It doesn't also mean temptation. That's a different thing as well. We're not talking about temptation. It's unfortunate that it's been translated in the authorised version as temptation. But the Greek word trial is not temptation, it just means any kind of difficulty, any kind of evil, any kind of problem, anything, whether it is evil or not. He's just thinking of any general difficulty that enters into your life, and he's saying that can be and is a test of the genuineness of your faith, and it can strengthen you, and it can encourage you. That's why he says, count it joy. It's the word testing. It's a rare word actually in uh, secular Greek, but very, very common in biblical Greek because it's such an important part of spiritual life. And the verb form means to put somebody to the test. So whether it's good or bad, it's just a basic test. James is saying that every trouble that comes into your life, every trial, every difficulty, is a test of your faith for positive results. It's a good thing. They're not bad. And Jesus himself warns us, you will face trouble. And he even says sometimes from your family, sometimes from friends, sometimes from enemies, sometimes from whoever. But it's going to happen. And you either pass or fail each test. If you pass it, it keeps it as a trial. If you fail, it can turn into a temptation. And this is where temptation can come in. Because if you fail a test, if you give in, if you give up in a sense, that makes it a temptation. And then it can turn into a sin. So you can see how it can progress. But if it ends up in a victory, if you overcome the trial, you've strengthened, you're encouraged, it's been a good thing. That's why he says, consider it all joy. So temptation can lead you to sin and make you fall. But a trial, a difficulty can help you to be strengthened, to mature, to grow as a Christian. So, these trials that James mentions are tests that reveal the strength, the the genuineness of your faith if you are a real Christian. Or, the fact that you're not actually a genuine Christian. So the result of the trial will reveal whether you really believe in God and are genuinely saved. Now, as we continue through this uh, epistle of James, a lot of people throughout history have felt that James is a bit heavy on works. um, Doing things. But that's not actually true at all, because this epistle of James, this letter, is actually very heavy on faith. He's not out of balance, he's strong on faith, not just works. He mentions works, he mentions doing things, because the doing things are the evidence that you do have faith. That's the point of this letter. He's not saying that the, the, the works save you. He's not saying that the works come first. He's just saying that if you are genuine, there will be works. There will be action. There will be results of that faith. 
And he's also not distinguishing between internal and external trials. Um, an external trial soon becomes an internal one anyway. What I mean by that is that um, um, no trial I've ever seen really stays on the outside. And it gets in your mind, it festers, and then it becomes a real trial in your mind as well. And it can really start to mess you up if you let it. The idea is you should go to God in prayer. So it's important to note that James is not saying here are some external things and we'll get to the internal things later. That it's both external and internal. The devil will cause you to start to doubt. He'll cause you to have thoughts in your mind that you shouldn't have as a result of the difficulties you go through. They don't usually stay on the outside, as I say. They start to get on the inside. But our lives are made up for them. Disappointments and frustrations, misunderstanding, criticism, great loss, loneliness, fear, persecution, conflict. There's a, there's a list as long as your arm. It all starts on the outside, but sooner or later it ends up on the inside. And that's when it can become an even greater trial. Don't know if you've ever experienced, you probably have, where you've had a difficulty, you go to bed at night, you just can't get to sleep. Uh, why is that? Because it's starting to get on your mind. It's not actually physically doing anything, but you're just you're going through it and it can become a real problem. As Christians, all of them though, come as we see from verse 3, for the purpose of testing your faith. To, to verify your faith. To strengthen your faith. So when you do go through trials, don't, don't worry. Don't be discouraged. They're there to help you to grow. To help you to mature. It's a bit like if you want to get stronger and be fitter, you go down the gym, it's going to hurt. You've got to move some weights, you've got to get on that treadmill. It's not easy, it hurts, it's painful. And as they say in the gym, there's no gain without pain. It's a bit like that in the Christian life. There's no gain without pain in the Christian life as well. We do go through difficulties. And they help us to see whether our faith is real and then to strengthen that faith to show us how strong that faith is and the more that you go through as you grow and mature as a Christian the stronger you get the closer to God that you get the more that you can worship God that's what it's all about it's not really about us anyway it's not about us it's all about God it's all about how much more can we worship him as he should be worshipped how closer can we get to him it's all about giving him the glory testing the genuineness of our faith so that's James' purpose in writing this letter, to encourage those with genuine faith, to strengthen them, and also to point out to those who aren't, actually, you need to be saved. That's really what we're talking about. And if we persevere through trials and suffering, and we never abandon God, then we prove that we have genuine faith. Uh, Robert Johnston wrote a commentary on James some years ago, and he says, James shows us that where there is but a, an empty profession, or a mere dreamy sentiment, unbased on firm and intelligent conviction of truth, the fire of trouble will soon burn it up. And what he's saying there is basically, when you put a false Christian through a test, through difficulties in life, it will eventually, inevitably, cause them to be seen that they were never saved to begin with. They buckle up, they give up. But he says, but if you put a true believer through a test, it will drive them to God. It will drive them to prayer and it will cause them to be strengthened and grow and mature. So trouble and affliction, this is the first of James' tests. We're going to be looking at a lot of different tests in the weeks and the months to come as James goes through. But the first test that he says is difficulties. That's how he begins. 
It's also how he ends this section as well. If you look at verse 12, he says, Blessed is the one who endures trials, for when the trial is over, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those that love him. That's a beatitude, by the way. There's a lot of parallels between uh, James and Matthew 5, where Jesus gives the beatitudes. And James is saying here, Blessed is the one who endures trials. Blessed means happy, satisfied, fulfilled, given inner joy. He says in James 5 verse 11, Behold, we count those who endure as happy, blessed, and they grow. He says, remember the patience of Job and so on. Uh, Job's the perfect example, obviously, of one who went through trials. So we consider people truly blessed, truly happy, who endure, who make it through trials. And again, that's why he says, consider it joy. Not a happiness due to the freedom from the trial, but a happiness due to the victory over the trial as you go through them. Again, going back to the Old Testament, it's like the Psalm 23. The psalmist, David, he doesn't say, yeah, though you take me past the shadow of death so I don't have to suffer going through it. He says, no, yeah, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And that's the key point. He's not going to miss it. He's going to go through it. He's going to be in it. But God is in it with him. It's not the banal happiness of somebody who never knew conflict. You can't avoid conflict in this world if you're obedient to God's word. It's the exhilaration of somebody who has been through it, but is matured and they grow. And again, it's not a matter of temptation to sin, otherwise he would have said, happy is the one who resists it. He, he says, no, happy is the one who endures it. You don't endure sin, you resist sin. So it's a different thing. Now there are three key words actually in verse 12. Endure trial and tested we see the same three words in verse 2 and 3 endure trial and tested so this whole section right up to verse 12 it's all about the same thing triumph over trials from verse 2 to verse 12 but we're only going to start it this morning and it means to endure patiently triumphantly it doesn't mean that you gritted your teeth and held your breath and endured it it means that you you won over it you endured you you were victorious so James' point is very simple. The person who claims to be a genuine Christian, when they go through the difficulties in life, they come out a winner. They don't give up. They don't abandon God. They are therefore shown to be a genuine Christian. And as a result of that, then they are strengthened, they are encouraged, and they grow, they mature. And they will receive the crown of life. The crown of life, basically, is eternal life. They don't receive the crown of life because they endured they endured because they received the crown of life. They always had eternal life. You see, there are people, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7, who regularly attend churches and even profess Christ. They might even get baptised as an adult. However, when trouble comes into their lives, when difficulties come along, they give up. And they never come back. I've seen that so many times over the past 40 or so years. But perseverance through trials is the proof that you are genuine. Now in verse 12, James calls those who persevere, them that love him. And that's really beautiful, that's wonderful, because basically that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. We love him. And we love him, as Jesus said, because he first loved us. It's, it's all about a, a love relationship. It's not just some transaction where God saves us and then we can just carry on as normal, no matter what, where our actions and attitudes, we can carry on living any way we want. 
once we're saved we can have any attitude, we can do what we like that's not what it's about, that's not what it means to be a Christian those of us who are truly saved show it in our actions our attitudes, the way that we live everything and 1 John chapter 2 says we love him or we will love the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not him you can't live the way that the world lives and be a genuine Christian it's not compatible because if you love the world you don't love him if you love him you don't love the world the two cannot come together you either love God or you love the world you either follow what God says or you follow what that world outside is saying there is no middle ground you can't do both you either follow God and his word or you follow the world and that's it he also says in 1 John 2 verse 9 they went out from us and he's talking about people who were coming along to church week by week and doing all the things that everyone else is doing and it says they went out from us and otherwise they left because they were not of us if they had been of us he says in verse 19 they would have remained but they went so that it might be shown that they were never of us in the first place and what John is saying there is they weren't Christians that's why they left if they were true genuine Christians they would never have left in the first place they were never saved to begin with so he's talking about the trials the difficulties where people just give up we see the same in 1 Peter 1 Peter talks about this 1 Peter 1 verse 6 about the difficulties the trials that you go through and then he says in verse 7 it's almost as if he's borrowing the same idea from James James remember was the first book of the New Testament to be written that the trial of your faith so Peter also talks about this as well as James the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it be tried with fire he says might be found in praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ in other words Peter says exactly the same as James your faith is being tested to prove its genuineness so that you having genuine faith will stand before God when he comes and he even says the same in verse 8 about love whom you having not seen you love we haven't seen God we haven't seen Christ but we love him so we get the same in Peter as we get in James and also in John the same idea the test of faith it's only passed by those who truly love God that's the, really the definition of a Christian not simply someone who at one point said a prayer and believed uh, something and that's it then they carry on living the same way that they always lived it's somebody who has an ongoing love for God that is seen that even though they go through difficulties they stand firm those that love him will hold on no matter what the trials they will prove so the next question is what does it actually mean then to love him and Jesus himself tells us that he says and, and this is really important I've been going on about this a lot lately because it is not just important it is eternally important Jesus himself said if you love me you will keep my commandments think about that if you love me you will keep my commandments now that doesn't mean you'll be perfect but at the very least it will mean you accept what he says and want to keep his commandments his commandments is everything the Bible says from Genesis right through to Revelation if you love me you will keep my commandments he says it in John 14 verse 15 he says it in John 15 verse 9 to 10 we see the same in 1 John 2 verse 5 to 6 1 John 4 verse 16 1 John 5 verse 1 1 John 5 verse 2 and 3 they get the point it's again and again if you love him you will 
at the very least accept what he says you will obey his commandments and tragically the reverse would also be true if you don't accept his word you don't love him that might sound harsh don't shoot the messenger that's what Jesus said it's very very important you will accept you will obey everything that God says in his word if you love him if you love him the genuineness of faith is built on love and it's demonstrated as we see here in this amazing epistle when you're tested when you go through difficulties because if you try to live by God's word you will face more difficulties so the, you see what's going on here if you love him you'll obey his word but if you obey his word you are going to be tested you are going to be criticised for that you are going to be condemned for it it will be difficult and it's getting harder all the time as I preached a couple of weeks ago it is getting harder to live according to the Bible but if you love him you will that's the bottom line if it's true love it will pass the test and the test is obedience to all of God's word we see the same in verse 12 we see the same in verse 2 we see the same throughout this letter so we see that believers who articulate our faith are going to be tested but our faith is not destroyed and the bottom line is that we hold on to him because why? because we love him and if that's the case we stay true to him we stay true to his word whatever difficulties we come across no matter how many people reject us no matter how many people condemn us and the world will condemn you if you live according to his word if you love him you'll still stay true and one of the purposes of this testing as well as um, encouraging and strengthening you it also shows the quality of your faith as well um, it says if you look in verse 12 the phrase when he is tried when he is approved after the testing the validity of his faith is shown it's almost like going through the fire and the, the dross is burned off and the true faith is there a bit like he did with Job that's what he did with Job he let Job go through horrendous things terrible things why? he didn't tell Job why not even at the end but it was to strengthen Job and to show people that's one of my people and no matter what happens to him no matter how difficult it gets he'll still t stay true to me that's Job he's an example to us thousands and thousands of years later those who hold fast to their trust in God show themselves to be true Christians and that glorifies God and that's what it's all about now you might have heard the phrase the perseverance of the saints because you might be thinking this morning you might be worrying am I a Christian am I a genuine Christian if you are don't worry you don't need to doubt your faith and you won't give up because of that phrase the perseverance of the saints um, it's part of the theological creed that we believe in the perseverance of the saints and all it means is that genuine Christians will never abandon their faith they will also always persevere no matter what they come across that's all that phrase means the perseverance of the saints in other words they won't believe for a while and then when things get tough just give up and go there'll be no trial that will come there will be nothing that can make them give up their faith and you might be thinking now well I don't know if I'm that strong I don't know if I can cope what happens if it gets really bad what happens if my family attack me what happens if I get criticised what happens if this what happens if that will I still stay true if you're Christian yes you will 
doesn't matter whether you're mature doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for two weeks or two years or twenty years you will persevere how can I be sure that you will persevere if you're genuine because God tells me that if you're a genuine Christian you can't give up your faith you can't do it it's not going to happen you cannot do it let me show you how secure you are if you're genuine 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says there is no temptation or trial given to you but such as is common to man in other words it happens to everyone but God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tested or trialed above that which you are able and he will always make a way of escape that you will be able to endure it that's a clear promise from God God is saying there that no matter what you face you can cope no matter how difficult it gets you will cope now that's not because you're strong that's not because you're mature that's because God says I will make you cope you will cope because I will not let you fail God's promise is we won't fail because he won't let us it's not because we're so strong it's because God is so strong it's like the common phrase once saved always saved God holds on to you you're secure he says in John 10 verse 28 I give them eternal life they shall never perish nobody can pluck them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and nobody can pluck them out of my father's hand that nobody includes you by the way you're not secure because of anything to do with yourself or your faith or your maturity it's all about God's power not yours you're eternally secure because of God's promise but there's another aspect as well just to emphasize this even more you're secure as a Christian because of God's power because he says and this is another promise he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ that's a promise from God he's saying you will be okay you will persevere you will stay true so we're not only secure because of the promise because of the power but also because of the prayers of Christ again to emphasize it even more we're told that Jesus right now right this minute is up in heaven praying for you as an individual for you as a group he's praying for you interceding on your behalf continually telling the father that he's already paid for that particular sin therefore you're forgiven John 6 it says Jesus says all that father gives to me will come so you will come if he's given you won't have a choice and I will lose none of them he will not lose anybody it's not possible to be a Christian and give up if you give up as it says in 1 John 2 verse 19 you weren't a Christian in the first place if you're a genuine Christian you will not ever fail you might sin and you will but you won't give up in John 17 he prays for his own Jesus prays that they will all enter into the fullness of salvation Jesus prayers are always answered always in Luke 22 he talks to Peter and he says Satan's desire to have you but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail why did Peter's faith not fail because Jesus prayed for him that his faith wouldn't fail and he says and when you get through it in other words you are going to get through it it's going to be hard but you're going to get through it I want you to then strengthen the brethren you will get through it Peter because I've prayed for you said Jesus Peter was secure because of the promise the power and the prayer of Christ but there's even more actually as well as the power the promise the prayers of Christ 
We also have the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you're a genuine Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You can't give up. You've got God within you. God lives within you. That's also why you will accept God's word. That's why he says if you don't accept God's word, that's a pretty clear indication that the Holy Spirit can't be in you. Because how could you not? If the Holy Spirit literally lives within you, how could you not? If you've got God in you, it's obvious. The Holy Spirit is also a guarantee of your salvation, the security. So we've got the presence of God through His Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity, no Christian who is genuine can ever be lost for all these reasons. We can't give up. If you're a genuine Christian, you can't lose your faith. I know the Catholics will tell you they're wrong. You can't. God says you can't. Nobody can pluck you out of His hand. We see it in the Old and the New Testament. Psalm 31 Be of good courage. He will strengthen you, all you that hope in the Lord. And he says in Psalm 37, the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. He's in control of every step you take. It says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, For which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. What have you committed to him? Your soul. And he is able to keep it. 1 Peter 1 verse 5 We are kept by the power of God Jude 1 We are preserved in Jesus Christ Jude 24 Now to him that is able to keep you from falling Presenting you faultless Before the presence of his glory With exceeding joy It's everywhere in the Bible You cannot lose your salvation A genuine Christian can't lose their salvation It's impossible Now on the other side to all this We're not only kept by the salvation of God But we from a human standpoint also persevere if you're a genuine Christian you won't give up yourself in other words you were never kept by God if you do now as I said that doesn't mean that the strength is all ours to endure we know God promises that this is true it's a bit of a paradox we're involved yes we do accept him we do have faith but that's because God has given it to us in the first place we were chosen by God before the foundation of the world how can we ever give up? We can't. It's impossible. So our part is to endure, but we do it in God's strength, not our own. Matthew 24 verse 13 says, He that shall endure to the end, that person will be saved. He says in John 8 verse 31, If you continue in my word, the Bible, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. That's why I keep saying, it is so important, absolutely important, that you accept what God says in his word, because that, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, if, then you'll be saved. In other words, if you don't, it wasn't true in the first place. So the one who's secure in God will endure. And they might wonder, well what happens when somebody doesn't endure? What happens when somebody gives up? Well we've already seen 1 John 2 verse 19, there were never others in the first place. They were never saved to begin with. They failed the test of genuine faith that James puts out. They never were a Christian. Because you can't give up. No trial is so great that it can sever you from the Lord if your faith is genuine. That's the perseverance of the saints. It's in the Westminster Confession of Faith. 
It says, they whom God has accepted as his beloved, effectual, called and sanctified by his spirit can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but they shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. This perseverance of the saints depends not on their own free will, but on the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy and merit and intercession of Jesus Christ and the abiding spirit. It. Then goes on to say in the Westminster Confession of say, Faith, yes you might sin, yes you might even fall into grievous sin, but you'll never ever give up. It's even outside the Bible, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, you will endure. You can't lose your faith. So as we go through this epistle of James, don't have doubts in your mind. You know, if you're a Christian, you're safe, you're fine. But... If you don't accept God's word, if you don't pass these tests, then do be concerned. Because you need to know that you're genuinely saved. You need to know that you genuinely belong to the Lord. And the trials are not only to show the quality of faith and strengthen it, but to show those who aren't that they need to turn to him. And those who do not collapse under trials, James says they have been approved, they shall receive the crown of life. The crown of life is eternal life. Yes, you do already have eternal life if you're a genuine Christian, but you don't have it in fullness just yet. That's obvious, because one day you will have eternal life in heaven and you'll be spending eternity with him. So you're still waiting for that aspect of it. One day you're going to die physically, unless Jesus returns before that time, then you'll have what the Bible calls full salvation. Then you will never sin again. Then you will be spending eternity with God in heaven. That's a future thing. 2 Timothy 4 verse 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown which is righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me that day, and not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. He's talking about the future eternal life. So we do have eternal life now, because we're going to get it in the future. Peter says in 1 Peter 5 verse 4, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown which is glory. And again I emphasise, eternal life is not earned by endurance. You don't gain eternal life by doing things and by growing and maturing. Endurance is the proof of eternal life. You're not saved because you endure, you endure because you're saved. There's a big difference. And the crown is given to those who endure. So as we open this section, as we start really our trek through this epistle, we understand that life is full of trials and how we deal with those trials shows us the genuineness of our faith or indeed the lack of our faith if we endure, if we persevere, if we're victorious we show that we are genuine and we will in the end receive the reward that God says the immediate question that then comes up is how? how practically can I endure the trials that we're going to have, that we're going to face, that we're going to go through, these difficulties, these terrible things that happen to us, how practically can I actually endure? Well James tells us because he says we need, verse 2, a joy, joyous attitude, verse 3, an understanding mind, verse 4, a submissive will, verse 6, a believing heart, verse 8, don't be double-minded, verse 9 to 11, be humble. So James is about to tell us how we can actually 
endure how we can grow how we can mature a believing heart how we can handle trials and we're going to be looking at that in the weeks to come so starting next week we're going to go through that list and we're going to see how practically can you endure the difficulties that come into your life what do you actually do when you come across something that's really horrendous or perhaps somebody's died that you loved or perhaps somebody's ill that you love or perhaps they have a terminal illness or whatever situation you go through how do you react to that situation what should you do we'll be looking at that in the weeks to come let's come to God in prayer Father we thank you Lord for your word in our lives that encourages us, that strengthens us, that draws us nearer to you. Of course we've got to accept it as your word. We've got to live by your word. And we thank you that we know that if we are your people we will. Because we have your Holy Spirit within us. Help us in the weeks to come to to learn from all that James has to tell us. That you have to tell us through James. So that we can face the difficulties, the trials in life that we face. Whether they be physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever we come across. And we know that we can count it all joy. Because it causes us to endure. It causes us to be strengthened. And it causes us to be able to worship you more meaningfully. As a result of going through these difficulties. We thank you Father. Amen.